0: Hey there, I'm Erin Souder. You're listening to The Retail Launch Lab. This is a show about bringing your product idea to life. Every week, we will answer your questions on this Q&A style podcast that focuses on retail strategy, prototyping, factory sourcing, and manufacturing with both me and other retail experts from across the globe. If you have ever found yourself with an amazing idea and know where to start, you are in the right place today. Let's dive in. Hey there, product people. Welcome to the very first episode of Retail Launch Lab podcast. It sure has been a long time coming for me to bring this idea to fruition. I've always been a physical product person and love talking about launching product ideas, but digital ones sometimes take a little longer for me to noodle on. Uh, Nonetheless, here we are together today. I am so excited. I hope you are too. And I want to just start out by saying that one of my biggest pet peeves about podcasts, one of the things I really dislike is when you have like 17 ads and all sorts of chitter chatter at the top of the episode, and it takes 20 minutes to dig into any sort of actual, you know, content. But today I do have a big ask. Since so our first episode. You may be listening to this podcast because you want a behind the scenes, real life insight into like making a physical product, which that's why we're here, right? Or you may be a friend or a family member who is simply supporting or seeing what I'm up to. And thank you. I love and feel your support. In addition to just listening, the best support that you can offer if you're in that camp is please share this podcast with anyone you think could benefit. You have a friend who is always trying to peddle their wares or someone who has like product design just running through their blood. Pass this podcast on. Be sure to give us a great review while you're at it so we can pop up in some charts and others can find us. I know that a lot of people say that in their podcasts for us just starting out. I think it really means a ton to try to spread the word and get anyone who needs this type of information aware that we exist. So that's like step number one. This podcast is something that I really wanted to start for a while because I find myself always getting into conversations with people in real life about launching product ideas. So you may laugh, but usually it's how any visit that I make to a party or event end up you know, winds up that I am chatting with people about prototyping and manufacturing the ideas. If you are a fly on the wall of our sitting room or our screened in porch, you'd probably hear a new product idea get vetted out at least once a week. Uh, That's usually where I sit with guests and we just throw wild ideas out and come up with all these harebrained plans. Some of them go somewhere, actually. Some of them don't. But it's a whole lot of fun and it's kind of what I do in my spare time. But it's also what I do in my daily life. Since you guys can't come to my house and shoot the breeze with me in real life, I am so excited to get to know you here and the podcast will give you insight into my experience. It'll teach you some of the industry secrets and skills and introduce you to other retail experts with a variety of backgrounds and product types. So I've been in the retail and consumer goods industry for about 20 years, which is wild to think about. But I think it started way before that even. I was always one of those kids who was like designing something or crafting something or making something and trying to sell it. I used to build dioramas of rooms for design, and I used to sew and make my own clothes. It was a very creative childhood, I would say. But then in my early professional days, I worked as a food chemist, actually. It's a source and catalog ingredients for all sorts of grocery store products, from salad dressings and wing sauces to garlic bread. If you've been around me in real life for any length of time, I might have told you the story about how We worked with a very popular chain of wing restaurants, and it was my job one day to taste every single wing sauce and put them in order from hottest to least hot, which wound up with really just a very big stomach ache at the end of the day. But it was exciting at the time as a, you know, early 20 somethings being a really hands on part of the development of that product. I would research prospective suppliers, catalog nutrition facts of this Parmesan versus that Parmesan, knowing the differences in water content or price. My education was in nutrition and chemistry and biology, which I honestly fell into just because I enjoyed it. I kind of went down the road of being a doctor for a while because that's what you do with that degree typically. But really, I think that if I had to be honest with myself, I just liked drawing back the curtain on like how things worked. So I feel like a lot of product people, a lot of our people, you and me, are like that as well. It's really just seeing something out there, having good ideas, digging into how to make it happen and how it works, and then putting our own creative twist on it. So anyway, the food job really parlayed itself into a similar role for me, which was a product development, but in fashion retail. I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch is a merchant in New Albany, Ohio, which was a very far cry from the food industry. It was like, it was a madhouse there. If you worked at Abercrombie in the early 2000s, you know what it's like. I'm sure we'll get the, opp- the opportunity and maybe a future episode to talk about the culture and the absolute madness that went on over there. But really at its core, A&F turned out a lot of super talented people. It's kind of like The absolute insanity of it made people really tenacious and determined business people who could get super scrappy. That's all I'm going to say about that at the moment. Since then, I've been at calmer companies, but that hustle to make the next greatest product really never left my system. And I think that's where you come in and where this podcast comes in. The people I inevitably end up scheming products with all have something in common, and it's that they're innovative, they're creative, they're hands on, and they love challenging ideas. So, I'm curious, I'm really curious about your idea and why you're here. It's possibly because pulling back the curtain of this sometimes rather secretive industry will help you move your idea along. And I honestly hope that's what it is. Seeing what's behind closed doors is kind of all you need to know to get your idea going. I feel so fortunate to talk to people about what I love and talking with you about it here on the podcast, making everyone's product dreams a reality, my own included. Now, ultimately, this is going to be a Q&A style podcast and we'll get started on that next week. But for now, let's talk about just some of the honesty and hurdles that are in this industry that you've no doubt experienced and that I want to banish from the beginning because I don't want your foundation into making your product dreams a reality like mired in these hurdles so I want to get them out there and talk about them so that you know that they're normal and that they're uh and let's get started so I find actually the retail and product world to be kind of a giant catch-22. Even if you have experience in this realm, you've probably had a whole lot of stopping and starting with your idea because a hurdle pops up that you can't solve with the information you currently have. But you can't unlock that information until you're past the hurdle. It's such a frustrating spot to be in, and I can tell you from my own experience that everybody, including myself at times and including huge companies go through this same Catch-22. I'll give you an example I encountered when I worked at ANF back in the day. We wanted to launch cell phone cases for the new iPhones that came out. Now we're talking like iPhones 3 and iPhone 4 at this point. And I know I'm dating myself here, but we had no clue how to get iPhone cases made. At this point, I'm pretty sure Apple was like, Maybe the only one selling them. I don't know. That could be an exaggeration. But we weren't trying to make basic plain cases with a logo slapped on. We wanted custom embossed brandings in the molds, custom colors, metallics, glitter, you name it. At the time, I don't know that anyone else was really doing this. Nonetheless, I was tasked with figuring it out. But here's where the catch-22 came. You couldn't get into a good manufacturer for these cases without proven sales against the cases. So how in the world are you supposed to show your sales without having any cases to sell? I recall reaching out to several manufacturers and just thinking, well, well, that's really putting the cart before the horse. I don't really know how I'm going to get you that information. I think... Fabricating it cropped up in my mind, but honestly, it wasn't, it, we didn't even know about how many cases to sell were good at that point in time. I remember being about 25 and pondering on the idea for all of a day before my manager asked me if I'd figured it out. At that time, I was really lucky to have made a friend in the manufacturing world who made toys. I took a gamble on asking them because toys and phone cases to me seem to use similar plastics, printing, molding, what have you. The factory partner did some poking and prodding around for me and we figured out that a way around this quote unquote proven sales number was really just have an other factory that you work with vouch for your trustworthiness so that the phone case supplier knew you wouldn't just be wasting their tighter resources. So luckily, my friend in the toy world started working kind of as a middleman for me on the cell phone project. It wasn't without hurdles, but it worked out. And then further to that, the the friend who owned the toy factory realized that it was not actually a very big mold or very tough to make with their toy resources. They could make the mold actually very well. So then we pivoted into making our own mold, own molds at the manufacturer that was making the toys. So. I tell you this for a few reasons. Firstly, you are certainly not alone when you encounter bumps and shut doors along your product journey. It's part of this process and sometimes serves a purpose really well. I'm sure we'll have many episodes in the future to dwell solely on finding manufacturing and where we can dig more into the the beauty of the hunt when it comes to factory sourcing. But really, you learned from that story that if there was a factory that was trying to protect itself against an inquiry that they didn't know if it would go anywhere. So we kind of had to eke our way toward a middle ground. And um, then it ended up working out. Another analogy sometimes I think about is when there's one of those giant stair machines at the gym. And there's two to three stairs directly in front of you that are visible. But the next step doesn't materialize until you move forward. Now, I've never personally been on one of those machines because I don't like working out, but they look terrifying. And I think it's interesting. I always think of these machines as an analogy because that stare just like pops out right when you need to put your foot on it, kind of. And I feel like a lot of this world is like that. You have to scoot your way right on forward and then that next step will pop up. So back to the whole product development being a big catch-22 subject, I view the product journey as kind of like a line with a back loop and then a line with another back loop. Like the line is moving forward, but you very often have to double back on something that's already happened and make tweaks and then start it over again to get a little bit further down the path. This is especially true when you think about something like pricing. How in the world do you know where to price your product if you don't know how much your product is going to cost you to make? And how do you know how much your product's going to cost you to make if you don't have a manufacturer? And how do you find a manufacturer without going down the factory sourcing path? I just threw kind of like the big elephant in the room at you, didn't I? I think that last bit about not knowing where to price, can't ask a factory because you don't have one. How do I find a factory? Those three big questions have probably run through everyone's mind. They're big ones for sure. And in between each of these giant questions are so many teeny tiny ones that won't even emerge until, well, like they do, like the Sarah machine. So my invitation to you on this podcast is really to come where you are. It doesn't matter how far along you are. It doesn't matter if the only if you've only thought about doing this deep in your brain and that's as far as it's gotten, or if you're already selling something. It doesn't matter, actually, if you have a million followers on social or if you don't even have the apps. I still deal with all of these bumps, hurdles, questions, big and small as well. What I've learned on this journey is that not knowing the answers or shoot, not even knowing the questions doesn't make you a fraud or ignorant about the business industry. It doesn't make you any of those things. It makes you a beginner. It makes you new. And you have amazing knowledge and potential that will be the tie that binds and brings you gracefully along the ride. And well, I guess sometimes it isn't super graceful, but it does happen anyway and it always works out. So even with 20 years under my belt, I still come up against new products or manufacturing processes that I am completely unfamiliar with. Um, Just last year, I was trying to teach myself how to make bulk candles overseas. Not just make them, but learn about what makes a good one and what features customers want, how to ship them without them melting, where the best place in the world is to make them, and so on. Now, drawing from past experiences means that I know the right questions to ask, but it still felt like complete square one to me. I couldn't lean on my retail accessories connections there because, of course, a tote vendor isn't going to make candles, but I had to forge a new path. There's a ton to learn in this world, this retail world, regardless of your background or the starting point you're at right now. But I swear, we're going to talk about these topics every week. We are in this together and we'll talk about the highs and the lows and everything in between. The next hurdle that I wanna discuss is process. We talked a bit um, earlier in the Catch-22 conversation about this, but we'll talk a bit more in detail about process. There are a lot of circumstances in the retail world in which your actions aren't linear. In some worlds, the process is super linear, as in you must do step A before step B and so on. While in the retail industry, This is true on a very large scale. For example, your autumn line would certainly come before your summer line. (laughs) Sorry, your autumn line would certainly come after your summer line. Or you can't manufacture an idea until your idea is actually designed or thought out. Uh, But the linear nature of those things aren't quite true in a daily practice they will be more like a sunburst. I think of it as if you have a center point and you have all of these little spokes that come off the point, like a sunburst. And then at the end of each line, you have an action point. And you kind of just pick and choose. And then once you pluck that choice, maybe an other one will appear because it's been unlawed since you completed that first task. But the things are kind of, Radiating out from a center point. They don't have to be done one, then two, then three, then four. Now, don't get me wrong, there will also be things that need to happen in a particular order, but it kind of just like zigzags up and down that linear line. Imagine, I'm trying to think of a better way to describe this. Imagine standing in a field full of fruit trees. You have peaches, you have pears, and you have apples. While Peaches are usually ready at the end of summer, apples are ready in early fall, and pears are between the two. The fruits do, however, have some overlapping ripeness dates. Like end of July to beginning of September, you're going to overlap a little bit in when the fruits are ready to pick. But still, you wouldn't pick all of the peaches first and then move on to the pears. And then pick all of the pears, regardless of ripeness. And then move on to the apples and pick all of the apples, again, regardless of ripeness. And then you're done. Well, yeah, sure, you're done. But half of what you picked is probably unusable because you did it in such a linear fashion instead of when the fruits were actually ready to pick. So instead, you'd inspect each tree for what is ripe on a regular basis. And you'd pick what is ready when it's ready. Now, maybe this will end up taking a little longer, but you'll have yielded a much more usable product at the end than you did with the first method. So back to a retail example of this. Some would assume that you need a product before you can sell one. Actually not true. Is that shocking? (laughs) Is anybody surprised right now? You can, and in some cases I highly recommend pre-selling a product or wait-listing a product before you actually invest or produce the product. You can get a lot of your marketing out of the way, you can gauge interest, you can collect sales, and then you can use those sales dollars to pay for the product that you're going to give those people. Now, this model only works for certain types of products, but I think someone coming into the industry would be like, no, of course you can't make a product or sell a product without having it made. Unless you're one of those people who shops on Instagram and you know exactly what I mean, some of those sites, you'll buy a dress and it takes eight weeks to get to you and you don't know why, because they haven't made it yet. When you buy it and you show your interest in it, then they make it. And it's a really a way to not carry any inventory and to only make what people are actually buying, which is smart, again, doesn't work for everything but I think it's just a way that shows that the linear way we think about product maybe is all just an assumption. Or here's another one. Maybe you've assumed that you must find an overseas manufacturer before you can sell your goods. That's also not necessarily true. You can always make your first batch yourself if possible, or even pay a local maker before pivoting into a factory model for your product. Now, again, there are circumstances for which you must find a manufacturer, like the aforementioned IFO cases, which required a huge and expensive mold, but it's not always needed. I think that sometimes people wanna get started with this big launch that has hundreds or thousands of units behind it to feel like legit about their product, right? I'm using air quotes, but again, I think this is where I come back around to starting where you're at. And there's certainly not enough emphasis in this industry on starting small. I had one project that I was working on with a client, a small business owner, and she had a tiny little product that cost less than a dollar each. Her product though required a mold to be made. I'm actually gonna quick caveat here. I mentioned molds earlier, but in case anybody is not familiar with a term, a mold is typically used for plastic and metal goods, and it takes a soft gel, a doughy, you know, substance or even a liquid material and forms it into a solid. If there's like a silicone spatula that you love to use in your kitchen, that comes out of a mold. These molds range in price from about $20 to $50k and up, depending on what they're being used for. I once had a mold I used for the bottom of a flip-flop tread it, which costs me over 100k a lot of money to invest in getting your logo on the bottom of a piece of footwear if you look at the bottom of your shoe now and see a customized logo there that company spent a hell of a lot of money on that for you so feel special but anyway back to my client clara her cost her low cost product required a mold which The mold wasn't expensive. It was about $100, but she definitely needed a reputable manufacturer to make it. The manufacturer also had a minimum order, or minimum buy quantity of about 250 pieces. So all in all, she was paying $350 to get a mold and 250 pieces of her product, all which cost, you know, just under a dollar. So she was starting small. There was no business loan, no container ship full of goods arriving at a warehouse, but she had what she needed to get started. And then she had a product to take to shows, to pitch to wholesale buyers, and to get future sales. There is another journey too. I had a different client who had a product that she was capable of making at home. Now, did she want or envision her to see herself making product out of her living room long term? Absolutely not. What she wanted was to get some really big wholesale customers and just fulfill the orders and not be spending her time making these things in her living room. But here's the thing. She was capable of making them. So after about a week of working with her hands, she had enough product to do the exact same thing that Clara did, which was go to shows, sell her product to boutiques, get some orders from wholesalers, and then at that point... She was able to quickly turn around and place some bulk orders and fulfill those orders not in the comfort of her living room. So what I want you to take from this first episode is there will be hurdles. There will be a ton to learn, but there will be parts of the journey that seem completely out of order. And that is all completely and utterly normal in this world of product development. You are not on the wrong path. The path just looks vastly different than you really thought it was. This is one of those pushing the curtain aside and being like, holy crap, this stuff doesn't happen in order. (laughs) And it's just, it's an awareness that you now have. And of course, we barely skimmed the surface today. There is enough stuff here to talk about for years, which is why a podcast was absolutely necessary. But Back to the fact that you're here, you can do this. I have all the confidence in you and your vision. I hope that just hearing a few of these behind the scenes stories and a couple of the hurdles and timeline issues that you'll run into before even getting started is giving you enough confidence that you're on the right path to keep going. But if you have a question about your own particular path, or the retail world in general, I would absolutely love to hear it. Like I mentioned, this is a Q&A style podcast in the future, which will run on your questions. Please take a moment to slide into my DMs over on Instagram at retail.launchlab. That's Instagram, retail.launchlab. DM me with your questions. No question is too small or too silly or too big. We will tackle them all. We'll bring insight and clarity to your journey and the retail product world at large. It's quite a big promise, right? But we're here to do it together. I truly can't wait to hear from you. Again, hop over to retail.launchlab on Instagram and ask away, okay? That's all we have for today, our very first episode. Thank you immensely for joining me. I will see you next week. Hey, it's Erin again. If you are starting out or contemplating creating your own product or think that you have what it takes, and spoiler alert, you do, I want you to start building that foundation now. I have a stellar resource for you to get this train moving. Head on over to launchlabinc.com. That's launchlabinc.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's a little blue box on the left, and there you can download our free 10-page workbook to get the ball rolling with your idea. I put together all of the top things that run through my mind every single time someone tells me they have a product idea. So go ahead and grab it. Also, do not forget to follow on Instagram for upcoming shows, behind the scenes tidbits, and more. That's at Retail Launch Lab on Instagram. I cannot wait to see you over there.